0: This week, we hear from an entrepreneur who makes it possible to dial forward into the future. Plus, we discuss how mentorship helps innovators succeed. Hi, I'm Karen
1: Unland. And I'm Lizina McKenzie. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton.
0: Hello, Lizina. Thank you for joining me as co host of Bloom this week. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. You are the manager of the Threshold Impact Venture Mentoring Service. Let's uh, tell our listeners, what does VMS do?
1: Uh, VMS is an MIT-based mentorship program for entrepreneurs. It started at MIT over 20 years ago as a way to support innovators. uh, Think about being an entrepreneur. Some innovators internal to educational institutions don't have that mindset for being an entrepreneur. So this program was created just to support that. And over 10 years ago, the University of Alberta got to learn about this program and was able to bring it to Edmonton as a sister program to the main MIT VMS program. So for over nine years now, we've had
0: this program here in Edmonton. And it works by putting entrepreneurs in touch with mentors in a kind of a, a regular cadence. So you keep Bringing, I, I say this because I am a, a mentee or, or, or I, I'm, we are in the program at Taproot. So just um, explain a little bit of what the experience is like. Yeah, so, so it's a, a two parts to it. We
1: bring together business leaders in our city who want to wear this big word of mentor in a volunteer capacity and pair them with mentees, entrepreneurs in the city who simply want help. So they put their hand up to say, I want some help. And volunteer mentors. Once they are accepted into the program, they they get to wear a speak word of mentor get to say yes, I will help you. And so, what the VMS program does here in Edmonton is is really to just help create these unparalleled mentorship experiences to unfold. So we do a bit of matchmaking. There's a whole process that goes into how someone comes into the program, both as a mentee and mentor. Uh, we then pair it together. the The differentiator of this program is that it's group mentorship. There's no one-on-one opportunity that exists. It's And this goes back to the main MIT BMS model that is really focused on bringing a group of people together. And we call that a mentorship team. And I think the really unique and important thing there is that we care about who's sitting at the table. And so Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion is actually a really important thing. We need diverse brains around the table to uh, learn from, uh, to support the mentee. And so that's something that's really prominent and purposeful in the program of thinking about who sits at the table. To support the mentee and also the learning across the table it's not just mentors helping mentees it's mentors learning from the mentee and learning from one another so the learning is just very high all around
0: yeah Uh, vms started as a service for university of alberta alumni but i see that it is now accepting entrepreneurs who don't have an affiliation to the school why the change This is very exciting.
1: I'll tell a slightly uh, longer answer than just that, but it's, it is very exciting. This program started in December, 2013. So we just celebrated nine years of having this program. And the thought was uh, to offer something through the office of alumni relations to offer something to alumni and who hadn't really been connected back to the university. And that group happened to be entrepreneurs. So that affiliation was initially with alumni. It has also over these years been extended to students, faculty, uh, and staff. And so that had been the model for all of these years. Over the years, in partnership with a volunteer board of advisors, which has been in place since the very beginning, there's been many conversations on can we support more than entrepreneurs who are affiliated with the U of A? And as you said, primarily it is alumni of the U of a. whether you're a year out of school, 20, 30, 40 years out of school, you have a business and you want to continue to grow as an entrepreneur, we're here to help. But the thinking over these years is can we support the community that we, that we live in? And so early in 2022, we have been able to do that, to open up this program with a very strong reputation in this city, as I know that you know, if you're part of this, um, that we're able to now support entrepreneurs, period. And that's really exciting to us. Also, I would say that aligns to what we care about when it comes to equity, diversity, and inclusion. It can be a barrier to say, like, you must be affiliated with the U of A in order to get help from this program. And that's just uh, something that doesn't exist anymore. And we're really leaning into equity, diversity, inclusion, and also leaning into the university and its program specifically, being a strong partner within the community. And I don't just lead Edmonton across the
0: province as well. Um, so can we be a leader in that and supporting more people? Right. It puts you a little bit in competition with everybody else who can serve everybody else is... It, 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 when we're talking about that kind of how VMS fits into the entire innovation ecosystem, are you getting out of your lane? No, you know what, it actually fits very
1: nicely. It's just, uh, this is a strategic priority for the last couple of years for our program to be able to expand and support more. Um, Since the very beginning, Karen, we've always been able to be complementary to other programs. I will say very clearly, we do one thing and we do it extremely well. We support bringing mentees and mentors together and, and wait for those opportunities to un, unfold and help, help that relationship to flourish. So we do literally one thing. We, we support entrepreneurs and help them to grow their entrepreneurial thinking. We're not a business accelerator. We're not an incubator. We are in, in none of those spaces. And so it's been exciting, actually, over the last year or two, as you know, to see programs coming into the province. And we've always viewed ourselves as complementary to that. The other thing I would say is because this is a long-term relationship, the opportunity for a mentee to partner and 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 learn from and, and build a relationship with a group of volunteer mentors is that that relationship is ongoing and it can be as long as you want it to be in this program. So some of those programs that we feel are complementary are there for a covert period of time, which I know you've been part of some of those as well. Um, so can we all to- together, collectively, support a person, an entrepreneur, as they're trying to grow and build or scale their venture? And so we're just one of the puzzle pieces that is able to do that. So I, I don't think we've ever, um, that's just the mindset of our board of advisors of the program through the U of A, that we've never viewed ourselves as being a competitor. It's more being a partner and complementary to other services because because we are only one puzzle piece. We do one thing. We don't do everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, that's an excellent answer. I, I'm going to come back to VMS in the second half of the show, but uh, we have an interview this week, so let's get into that. I had a chance to talk to Myrna Bittner. She's the co-founder and CEO of Run With It Synthetics, which is one of our city's success stories in the field of augmented intelligence. Uh, their co- that company has had a wildly successful 2022 and a very exciting 2023 lined up. So here, let's hear all about it with, uh, in my conversation with Myrna Wittner of Run With It Synthetics. Welcome to Bloom. Thank you. Really <laughs> excited to be here at last. Yeah. Well, let's start a little bit at the beginning, although I think a lot of our listeners know quite a bit about your company. So I don't want to I want to get to the future, which is kind of what Run With It does. But just quickly, what what made you and your co-founder, Dean Bittner, want to start Run With It? We had been increasingly asked
2: to tackle digital systems, very complex digital systems that were rolling out or that were Encountering issues with how complex their edges and their environments were, and so we we thought this this isn't a problem that's going away. Mm-hmm. It's one that's getting uh, more and more complicated, and even some of the most sophisticated engineers and engineering teams and software developers are experiencing it. So surely there's got to be a way that we can uh, use the best of RPA and automation, and AI, and and develop a way that they their systems can experience the, all of the intricacies of realistic um, activity before they get there. And uh, it'll make people's lives better that are working on those systems. It'll help those systems deliver to their promises that they have. Uh, some of the more safety critical and financial based systems. So there wasn't um, an uncomfortable you know uh, uh, or there you know there was a need to remove that discomfort from failure or de risk those systems um, and the opportunity was really massive so that 's when we decided to start creating these synthetic futures um, and uh, and and help people uh, experience the future before it happened.
0: And it turns out lots of people want that kind of crystal ball. So (laughs) uh, lots of different kinds of people. Uh, Taproot and Run With It were part of the same class of startups at Launch Party uh, in 2016. How different is your company now than what you expected it to be then? I don't know when you first launch a company if you know
2: exactly when it's going to evolve into. I think that's one of the exciting parts is, is you have to start somewhere. So we did. And we started with what was really right in front of us. um, And what we were working on and was most uh, comfortable to understand. And uh, no, I could have never imagined where we have ended up. Um, Absolutely not in a million years, but so um, excited and motivated by it every day. So who is your ideal customer now? That's a, a really good question. I think our ideal customer is a group or a stakeholder group or uh, who is really focused on on the future and the opportunity that understanding the future and making choices today that are really relevant and uh, life-sustaining and equitable and, uh, and and relevant, you know sometimes decades and generations into the future, it, is our ideal customer. Those come in all different shapes and sizes and and, uh, and from all different sectors. But we're really finding that a lot of the things that they are wanting to explore and make sure that they're prepared for in
0: their investments today are very similar. Most of your current customers, though, are probably like institutional, right? Like it's governments and and organizations and companies or no?
2: Yeah, our our number one it's it's you know B2B so our mm-hmm. number one market is is industry and uh and, and private companies. Uh, I would say number two is research institutes
0: who are informing uh, others and and number three is is governments. Right? And on your website, which we'll link to in, in the show notes, there's like a wide, wide range of, of kind of scenarios and examples of the kinds of what if questions that, but, that people would ask. But just give us a, like a few examples of what are those what ifs that run with it allows people to kind of see the, the scenarios that would emerge. So, I can give you uh, an example
2: maybe of where we started with our first synthetic city. So, this was our pivot out of uh, dealing with strictly digital systems into, you know, can you actually make a city mm. and show us the city as a system of systems? And it was for an earthquake in Silicon Valley. And it was the ask was by a smart city technology supplier, ITRON, so one of the world's leading suppliers, uh, if we could implement their technology in Silicon Valley, the way they would want it to be and dial forward the future of uh, an earthquake and show how that technology would inform, how it would respond, how it would react, how it would reduce the impact on uh, on buildings and infrastructure, and then how it might be dynamically repurposed uh, in the most effective ways. And we could experiment with that in this digital sandbox. To change human impact and outcomes, so give people safe evacuation pathing or really relevant critical information about the danger they were in uh, in those very first critical fifteen minutes after an earthquake. and that that was the the springboard that really launched us into, you know the next question, which was around dual disasters in in energy. So, heat events, um, outages, and COVID-19 was hitting Mm -hmm. cities. And that was our next event was how can we quickly dial forward the impact of changing human behavior on the energy grid and load patterns to make sure that utilities could forecast better? And then how could we also help them understand this new reality of public health that hasn't entered into their forecasting before? and where vulnerable populations live and how they might change their repair priorities or how they might change the way they use communications in an outage like like COVID-19 and heat events to uh, ensure that they maintain the trust and the willingness to pay and engagement of their communities going forward, which they're Mm -hmm. really relying on.
0: That's, and there's so many more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. To do this, it's a mix of artificial intelligence and humans. Uh, and you're very clear on in your communications that the humans are really important to, uh-huh. to, to making this um, work. And it's not just the humans that are doing the programming, I think. So maybe the way to get at that question is to tell me what having a diverse and inclusive team, how does that help you do this work well? At the basis of what
2: we are providing, and one of our secret sauce um, parts of our massive simulations is a fully synthetic population. We started looking into what might be available or accessible, even in terms of data sets that are out there, census that's out there. And how could we make this population really reflect the, the population of the different areas we were working in? And and that really kind of sponsored a, a whole kind of uh, understanding about the issues with current data sets, their collection, their bias, their incomplete, their historical, there's so much of the population is invisible, they don't mm-hmm. address intersectionality, they're, you know, there's privacy concerns and protections. And, and having a diverse team uh, and one that as we, we ask everybody to be certified in gender-based analysis plus, enables us to really pay attention and detail um, in the most thoughtful and learning way. We are we are still always learning a- and address the, the importance of building a, a synthetic population that characterizes um, the really relevant aspects of intersectionality and marginalized groups and invisible uh, women, and, yeah. uh, and you name it, and, and bring that forward in some very conservative environments who uh, who haven't considered the impact of those really unique aspects of population
0: in their mm-hmm. their forecasting, or their planning, or their engineering. That's fantastic. That's like uh, so important and so overlooked, I think, in this space. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And yet- yeah
2: so vital in the U.S. with their Justice40 initiatives, they have actually mandated that, uh, I should say human dated it, um, <laughs> but they have actually required that that become a part of the calculations and the investment impact uh, understanding uh, before they will uh, trigger some of their inflation reduction spending. So it's, it's become very uh, relevant very quickly. Yeah.
0: Last year was a really busy year for you. You participated yeah. in a lot of stuff including six accelerators, I think, from the, sure. based on your on your look back. One of them was the AWS Sustainable Cities Accelerator for Infrastructure. What kind of opportunities will emerge from that experience? So that was a fantastic, very condensed
2: accelerator required a lot of our management team's time. Um, to participate, but uh, an amazing experience. Part of it was in looking at AWS and how we can better integrate our offering to enable access and broad access and funded access to the data that we're producing so we can do more good um, Mm. around the world, which was phenomenal. Another was they have some really key partners. Who are you know some of, for example, the world's largest logistics and supply companies who have uh, can make a massive difference with their decarbonization efforts in the world and their community initiatives as they learn that they you know really um, need to participate in communities and and helping communities achieve their goals. And uh, so we are in direct connection and discussion with those large partners. Uh, another uh, interesting aside was we are now going to be um, in South by Southwest and oh. uh, speaking in their uh, their main event about uh, how we use spatial data and the importance to planning terrestrial futures with spatial data and and what we utilize it for. So the and we were also announced as being their their next a million core simulation between AWS and Intel. So, I mean, the the opportunities just continue to build from participating in that cohort. but it was a a really condensed uh, session that I think will last a long time, the impacts and the trajectory for our company.
0: I want to stay on that kind of the cities thing, because you mentioned at the Health Cities event during Edmonton Startup Week that Run With It had synthesized the Edmonton region, which made my my ears pick up. So tell me a little bit more about that project.
2: We had a very uh, early and uh, an enthusiastic champion with Edmonton Global who brought together agencies and institutions and, and different sectors in the Edmonton region and to sponsor the kickoff of how we synthesize the region and then make that a synthetic environment available for interested stakeholders who have questions Um, And so we worked with 14 uh, municipal districts in the Edmonton region, and we have synthesized the built infrastructure as well as the population um, now and all the way through to 2050. And we utilized that environment already to look at things like um, the phasing of hydrogen, uh, the workforce around hydrogen and energy and how that might shift and grow. And there was some really exciting work done there. We did some look at, at blending, so blending hydrogen into heating and, and the impacts and the opportunities and where it would be most, um, there would be most emissions reduction potential. Uh, class 8 trucks and hydrogen and then we dove into the Edmonton metropolitan region. It's really unique as we're finding out around the world when we discuss the project. We have a growth plan, so the 14 or municipal districts have got together and they actually have a coordinated growth plan, Mm -hmm. which is unusual and uh, offers so many advantages. So we were helping to actually physically sandbox that and dial forward what the growth plan was, and then look at whether or not that lined up with what they were hoping to achieve. And uh, whether or not the built environment that we are setting out to create here in the Edmonton region is what we will need to sustain the the two million people that we are expected to be at by around twenty forty four. So, um, it was really fascinating to be able to look at everything from emissions to consumption patterns and changes to social burden, economic burden, housing burden, even and and really ensure that the density that we're planning um, matches what what we need to
0: hit targets. So, can those stakeholders then kind of Sign on to a dashboard and ask those what ifs anytime they want to, or do they have to go through you? How does that actually work? So they have uh, to date
2: uh, been going through us to ask really specific questions. Some of course are 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 configuring you know some competitive you know issues are sensitive issues that mm-hmm. that they want to curate. and so typically they work with us to look at the data and the information some have asked us to pr- to produce visualized assets that they can use to share the analytics and the information and so um, some people have Pixar type movies that they are using to uh, to explore and build consensus around and uh, but we're still kind of in the process of delivering uh, all of the information that people
0: are looking for from the environment and we can do so even on a holodeck that we built so. Holodeck is a very evocative word. So, what is what is what does that look like? Like, is how close to Star Trek is it? I guess
2: I I'm not sure how close it is to Star Trek. It's a our version of the holodeck. It's a 3D geospatial visualized um, universe that we can put live data into and scenarios and run tabletops into. And we rolled it out in Washington, D.C. last April uh, in front of a very large group from the Sun to Grid community to play out scenarios in the U.S. around coronal mass ejection events. So really bad solar storms. Mm. And they were wanting to look at whether or not the space weather community. So we were engaged with NASA and NOAA and SWPC and NERC and FEMA Mm. and whether or not they were sharing the right types of data um, that could be utilized by the grid community to do some very quick grid mitigations and, uh, and prevent some, some profound disruptions and expense if there is a really bad solar storm that is pointed our way. And that was, that was the first rollout of the holodeck was um, them looking at the Eastern US and with particular focus on Washington DC and watching the different scenarios run through.
0: You also participated in a low-carbon hydrogen accelerator with Greentown Labs in May. Yes. So what what kind of doors has that opened for you?
2: That has opened some really interesting doors. Things don't always go as planned. So we had done some work with some of the major partners through the accelerator, and that's still ongoing one of the major partners in the low carbon hydrogen accelerator is also the electric power research institute that we uh, continue to be engaged with we're doing some fantastic work with them uh, again now in nashville Mm. but it's a learning process it's a learning process for some of the big corporates in engaging with us and the the timelines that they have are uh, are long and there's still some that are ongoing Right, um, but it gives a chance to work with um, the city of Houston, the Center for Houston's Future, and the Electric Power Research
0: Institute, Shell, and some of the big players around uh, hydrogen. And you were at the hydrogen convention in Edmonton as well, I think. We were, yeah. Yes. So there's continuing to to contribute to that body of knowledge on how to how to imagine a future in that way. Edmonton has a carbon budget, although it doesn't seem to be as integrated into decision making as some people would have liked to have seen during the, the budget deliberations. Has what you've developed make more sense than kind of the way that municipalities like ours have been thinking about carbon budgeting?
2: I think the way we incorporate carbon budgeting is that everything we do, we can measure its you know, impact on emissions can take several approaches where we say, what do you want? What is your target? And then we can actually look at and configure and sandbox the things that might get them closer or mm. farther, or are they on track um, to reach that. We can even look at, at the impact and economics of carbon pricing um, and, and what that might do you know, in terms of cities. We can add in, you know, changing consumer behavior, um, electrification, uh, heat pumps. We can look at tree canopy. (laughs) So (laughs) I mean it 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 kind of it, it needs, I think, to be seen in a very holistic way. And and I think it is being understood in different regions of the world as being a part of every decision that we're making and uh, needs to be attached and integrated and explored so that if we are truly wanting to invest and make those differences and we have a schedule that we need to make those differences on, that we are making the right investment decisions um, to do that. An example being um, you can invest in a certain number of smart streetlights that might have LED efficiency and you might get you know, a certain number of tons of, of emission reduction in the next 10 years or you can invest in you know, uh, waste uh, water heat to energy systems. So just putting something on a, a sewer um, pipe that goes through the basement of a building and get 100x that for you 1 know, 20th of the cost in a year. Wow. And so there are some really profound um, differences and distinctions now in technologies that we should be looking at and making investments in around carbon, uh, you know, quick wins, big wins, long term wins.
0: um, And that I think needs to be a part of our decision making. Run With It got $900,000 from Prairies Can in May as part of a big investment in innovation in Edmonton. Um, What has that money allowed you to do? It's a
2: matched loan. Um, facility, so it's really enabled us to quickly accelerate, and that was that's part of the business scale up program is to really provide you with non dilutive capital, so that you can reach that next milestone, and whether that next milestone is increased, you know, revenues and and trajectory and market development, or whether that next milestone is is changing our valuation, so that we can you know then gain further access, you know, better access to venture capital. Um, it, it's really allowed us to make some huge strides. Uh, so we're starting U.S. operations. Um, we hired oh. a chief of U.S. operations, Jan 1, and, uh, and have been growing the team. I think we've had five new hires in the last week, really uh, enabling us to reach uh, with confidence uh, going
0: forward. Where is your U.S. headquarters or, or node?
2: Uh, we have a Delaware corporation, and our chief of U.S. operations comes to us from Wisconsin.
0: Wow. Neato. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so you operate all over the world. You've participated in competitions in Asia and South America and all kinds of different places. I am wondering if there is anything about Edmonton that has made it a good place in which to build, run with it.
2: I would say initially and and continuously, it's the talent that's coming out of our post-secondaries. We have just an amazing group that are attracted to Edmonton for uh, education, and they are highly motivated to stay when they find companies like ours. And so, you know, that has been just incredible. We have hires who have come to the U of A uh, who are Americans, uh, initially and and from all over the world and and that has been just profound for us. And then also recently, it has really been the the innovators in the community who have uh, got together and decided that um, to be some early adopters of what we do in our synthetic cities platform. And that has been amazing um, to actually, you know engender that response from the community and have people step forward and take that risk. That we all talk about and see on the side of the building downtown. (laughs) And and that has made it an incredible place for us to be. The weather, not so much. Although the (laughs) cold weather gives us a lot of opportunities to work really hard. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and also to be aware that that changes the scenario, right? I mean, it, probably what? anybody could figure that out, but we live the experience that decisions you make in summer might be different from decisions you make in winter because we have like distinct seasons here. Correct.
2: And they did ask us what we're doing in Nashville now is one of their highest risk events, which is a cold wave. Mm. So ironic that they asked the Canadians yeah. while we were
0: experiencing minus
2: thirty-five <laughs> to be <laughs> to be making it cold in
0: synthetic Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that could be done to make uh, make that Edmonton or people in Edmonton could do to make it even easier for Run with It to to grow and thrive? I think
2: we are. Are lucky enough to have a supportive community that is beginning to understand the need for diverse companies with diverse business models, and really kind of uh, digging in to look for opportunities to help those companies to grow. For a while, I think we were maybe more focused on uh, on finding the right cookie cutter to become Silicon Valley of the North, and. And I think that that was that was a challenge to companies like Run with it, where we had chosen a different business model and growth path and capitalization strategy and um, and decided to be revenue funded. Um, so I think I think now I'm starting to see that invitation for diversity and that um, excitement around, the fact that we don't have to have a single message. We have uh, a message of, of welcoming and uh, a dynamic message, a resilient message in, in allowing and promoting and participating in many business models. And so that, that part I'm, I'm really excited about and I
0: hope that momentum continues in the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last question is about the future. So you've you've mentioned uh, South by Southwest and uh, getting your, your U.S. Um, office uh, up and running. What else are you looking forward to in 2023? Oh, there's there's so much um, that is happening daily. We are part of
2: a Southern California um, Trade Acceleration Program. And so we are doing a lot of work. I'm off to uh, Palm Springs and Los Angeles and Pasadena uh, week after next, and and so a lot of work in building our U.S. market, um, some in the EU and the UK as well. So we have a lot of context that's growing there. Uh, in terms of of our modeling and uh, and our synthetic environments, water is something that is really critical, and that's going to be a big part of what we are. Adding to this year, our our tech roadmap is is huge in terms of what we want to develop and add. And so we've got a really exciting National Research Council project that started up, and wow, um, and we're going to be making some really interesting changes in in visual programming, and uh, and I hope to be rolling those out. And space, I think, is always something that is not really well understood how important we rely on it as terrestrials, but. Uh, it is something that um, is, is a, a really unique opportunity to add understanding uh, of the the assets that we have and the reliance that we have on space and make sure that when we are, are participating in space, in the space community, that we are also uh, allowing people to understand
0: colonization of space and the important wow. questions that we have around it. So we'll not just be synthesizing Earth, but elsewhere too. Yes, okay. <laughs> to infinity and beyond, right? <laughs>
2: In the holodeck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, that that's a very uh, good note to end on. So, thank you again for joining me today. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Carrie. So I'm a kind of a what if kind of person. So I am fascinated by what Run With It has developed. What do you think of like just the technology that Myrna has described there?
1: Uh, so first, I would say that we were lucky to uh, to work with and have Run With It Synthetics in the DMS program. So Myrna um, and Dean both got uh, the chance to learn from from mentors in this program, and they got to learn from indeed, so that's that's pretty exciting to have that bit of yeah. background and insight as you as we've heard of long ago um as they were starting this. I think it's fascinating. I think being able different stakeholder groups, as was discussed, to have better uh, inputs to making decisions is is incredible. And that's just that's a better way to be. Um, how can you make strong decisions for organizations, for cities? Uh, for countries, if you don't have strong inputs into that and 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 you know these extra data points that just aren't available at this moment in time what do you what do you think Well, I just
0: think that we in a way, in our modern world, we have more of a problem with too much information than not enough. and so anybody who's figuring out how to harness uh, the tools that we have to make it actually possible to make decisions from that huge pile of stuff is just like that's what we need to in order to 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 make sense of it like it's not that we don't know enough it's like we know too much and so then things like this kind of dial it back to where we can know something from that big mess of information so I think that as an like as an entrepreneur, Myrna is so impressive and inspiring because she just has like such a clear North star for what that business and what she and her team are trying to do. And she doesn't waver. I I agree. I think to
1: that point, um, what she mentioned very early on is is the point on the kind of data. Well, if you didn't have strong inputs by thinking very broadly, Just like the breadth and depth from a um, diversity point of view, Mm -hmm. then you have too much data, but is it the right data, depending on what a stakeholder is looking for? Um, So I I think that's a very valuable point that this has just been baked in from the very beginning of thinking, both from their team's perspective, but also different client groups. What exactly are you trying to look for? So I I think that's an important,
0: important piece that, yeah, it's, it's very impressive, as you say. And it does seem to be a business that is that truly believes that diversity, equity and inclusion is something that you build in from the beginning, uh, both in how you go about putting the information into the into the system, but also the people that you have who are looking at it and kind of cocking in their head and say, does that seem right? Or what about these people? Or have you thought about this? Um, And I I get the feeling I'm not on the inside, but I get the, the the feeling that it's not just window dressing. it's actually integral to the to how they do absolutely. I'll, I'll share a little bit of. So I don't know. If you know
1: this uh, Karen. Uh, last year, I know that you know this part of it, but last year, Myrna was the winner and recipient of office space in Edmonton uh, through a project called The Goodwill Project. Right. Um, who a friend and mentor of the BMS program uh, was offering, uh, Tim Carwell. And I was part of the panel, the judging panel <gasps> uh, that awarded Myrna and company in this space. And so, so to your point, that's something that was really strong for Tim and Tannis Carwell, mm-hmm. uh, who led the Goodwill Project and gave away their office space for two years and wanted to really understand, you know, what would happen if you didn't have to Pay for office space for two years. What would you do with that? Uh, those yeah. resources, and that was something that Myrna talked very strongly about, actually, and was a pillar for her business and a pillar for the, this competition of the Goodwill Project to, to give away this space. So I, I, it's not just window dressing. I mean, she spoke very passionately about that, and that was certainly a strong criteria from the judging panel to award this space. So we we hear it often from her, and we got to see the insides a bit, and it's just baked in. It's it's the way to do things. The other point I would make too is how can you continue to drive at innovation if you don't have diverse brains at the table? And yeah. asking, like you said, well, what if, did we think about it this way? Can we add this? Like whatever the question is, if you don't have diversity sitting at the table, you're not asking, you might
0: be missing the opportunity to ask certain questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Another thing that Myrna referred to in our conversation and has said before on panels that, uh, that we've seen her on is that Edmonton is not Silicon Valley. We should not try to be Silicon Valley. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, absolutely. We are not. Wouldn't it be a shame to try to be something that you're not? We often hear individuals talking about being their authentic selves. Why wouldn't a place that we all live be authentic to what it actually is? Why would you try to be something that you're not? Wouldn't you yeah. tell your kids that, Karen? <laughs> Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> I think the same principle applies uh, to that one. Don't try to be something that you're not. It's It sets you up from the very beginning
0: to fail, to try to be something yeah. that you're not. What do you think? Uh, I think that that is true. And yet it, it's hard for people to let go of seeing something that's so wildly successful uh, or seems to be so wildly successful in terms of capital and innovation and all those things to say, well, let's just do that here. Why should everything be be centered in in one area? Why, what can we do to replicate it? I think that that was like a really strong... Impulse for a time that seems to have subsided somewhat, as people say, "Well, let's just let's be the best Edmonton possible." But it's it's hard to to pull people back from that vision.
1: I think too. Um, I'm going to steal a little bit from from VMS, and I'm going to steal a little bit from just my upbringing as a human. I'm not born and raised in Edmonton, and then I often moved here a long time ago in 2006. So I have enough experience living here that I've heard this many many times. Is that we seem to look elsewhere what that city's doing, what this is doing. Well, why are we doing that? And then the point I would draw from the VMS program is that we always just put our head down and like do the best we can for what we're trying to offer. And so why wouldn't yeah. we just like be quiet, put your head down and do the work for what, whatever yeah. that means for this city. So I just draw on those two things. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's necessary to look elsewhere in terms of best practices, models, and then you take from that what makes sense for Where you live, the community
0: that you live in, the market that's here, the opportunities in the future. Um, Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think Run with It is one of those places that that exemplifies that, and is also a great ambassador for Edmonton all over the world because they've been involved in accelerators in all kinds of different places and competitions in all kinds of different places. Like, and, and I think we're being well represented by them. I agree. I think so, too. Okay. Well, we'll take a break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about a couple of other innovators in the news and find out about how to get involved in VMS. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's part three of MacMail's conversation with Abby Stein-McLean, the head of Edmonton Unlimited's Capital City Pilots program.
3: Okay, so last time we got a great overview from you, Abby, about what Capital City Pilots is and who it's for and, uh, and how you know, uh, entrepreneurs and innovators might benefit. One of the things you told us about was that these challenges will come from the city. So tell us a bit about how do those challenges get identified? How does the city come up with the things that they need help solving?
4: So right now we're in the thick of uh, what we're calling the challenge discovery phase of the project. So we're working with our team at the city to uncover the challenges and frame them in such a way that that we can present them to the innovation community to be addressed. We're working with all facets of the city, uh, hoping to get participation from, you know, all different branches and departments to kind of enrich the experience for the entire innovation community. This is an important step in in setting us up for success going down the line, because there's a lot of things to be considered when crafting a challenge statement, um, specifically any constraints related to to that challenge, uh, and also kind of pre-resourcing on the city side, making sure that the participating groups at the city uh, have adequate uh, space and bandwidth to support a pilot during the pilot phase. It's a pretty in-depth process, and we're looking forward to seeing kind of what comes out of it, because, yeah, we've had a few kind of early excite engaged folks at the city say like, we have a challenge statement that's already, but we're not entirely sure that they have um, done the deep work of thought to make sure that um, it's really going to be ready to go for when we post our first round of challenges. So we're really looking forward to seeing as we go through this process with um, multiple uh, groups at the city, uh, what sort of challenge statements come out of there and how we can make sure that they're going to be super addressable by the innovation community.
3: Yeah, well, that sounds great for the entrepreneurs or the innovators tackling these things to know that the city is not just putting the challenge out there, but is actually going to be involved and and working with them to try and address it. Uh, If I am an entrepreneur or an innovator and I want to tackle one of these challenges or or, uh, find out more, how do they submit an application or get involved to participate in one of those challenges?
4: Yeah, probably our number one question right now, which is great, because it sounds like there are innovators who are eager to participate. Um, so our first round of challenges will be uh, launched in early 2023. Date uh, is still sort of to be determined on a few factors. Uh, but once the challenges are out there uh, and ready and open you'll definitely see some uh, communication about that from us at Edmonton Unlimited and, you know, on your socials, et cetera. And there's going to be a a challenge application process there online. Uh, We have a a platform that's nearing completion development where you can um, submit your innovation, you know, with a few pieces of meta information to kind of help the assessment and adjudication process. Uh, And that that's basically it. Like it's once the challenges are posted, you're welcome to as an innovator answer the call.
3: So stay tuned for those challenges to be yeah. available this very is- very soon in 2023. Very exciting.
0: So I just I noticed that uh, a VMS venture that's been getting some attention lately is Rewaste. Um, CBC's What on Earth show spoke to founder Corey Sabin about his company's efforts to collect and reuse plastic waste from the cannabis industry. Tell me a little bit more about this venture. Uh, so, we're getting to know Corey right now. We're getting to know
1: ReWaste and we're getting to know Corey. He's new to us, like very, very brand new to the VMS community. And we're very excited to have him not only be part of this, but also for him to learn and grow from this very early stage of his business. So, yeah, my understanding—very um, exciting to be working on—is that he's taking waste, and you know, you can read about all the plastic in the cannabis industry. He's taking a yeah, waste product. I had product. no idea because
0: yeah, I, I'm not Karen. a user, so yeah, yeah I, I did yeah. not realize that so much of the stuff that is sold in the stores that are newly legalized and everything is isn't like little plastic tubes and stuff. Yeah, but taking
1: this waste product, so. I mean, p- perhaps he's gotten strong market traction, which he has in one industry, in the cannabis industry with this single-use item, and turning that into new products that my understanding strongly is that he's being able to inject that back into the same business. So, you know, I know there's um, some, um, there is some examples of this with uh, trays, with actual product for the store, with... yeah. Uh, displays like all these kinds of things, like so injecting that back into the same business. Um, but Corey's also has shared vision in terms of being able to support other businesses, other industries. So it's really great to see like this first opportunity in the cannabis industry that he's gaining some traction and in able to build credibility and show what he's able to do and also evolve what this is uh, for him in the next while as he's gaining that traction and building that credibility. Um, yeah. I I get to know the fun part about what I get to do in VMS is actually learn about the person, which is the core of what we do. We really strongly get to know the people and understand how they think and what their vision is for what they're doing. And uh, Corey really resonates with us and fits very nicely into what the culture and community is within the VMS program. And we are really excited for him. And one of the pillars of what we're looking for in anyone who's part of this, whether you're a mentor or a mentee, is, is humility, is drive, ambition. Uh, high EQ. And it's really awesome to see within one or two conversations with him that we can very strongly see these things. And so that excites us that he's ready for this opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, both as a, someone, you know, on behalf of this program, but also as just an entrepreneur and human, he's he's ready to, to build something big with
0: the vision that he has. That's awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye on on them and maybe taproot to do a story and figure out more about what's going on over there. Another thing that happened recently is that Edmonton Unlimited launched Edgy, which is uh, stands for Edmonton's greatest innovations. It's a visual de- database that aims to identify and promote Edmonton innovators, and it says it will allow partners, funders, and stakeholders to connect, collaborate, and accelerate business growth and innovation. So I don't know if you had a chance to look around on the on the resource. What do you think of it? Um, I I think this is I think this can be very interesting.
1: And I say it can be because it's so new and very early. So Mm -hmm. I kind of treat new things like this when something is launched as great, great intention behind it. I I think I understand that, I think, Um, but I probably treat it like a new restaurant. Let's see how it unfolds for the the first few months and what kind of traction it it gains. I also would say this is probably a product launch. So what kind of traction are they gaining in the first few months? How are they connecting with stakeholders? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that unfolds uh, first, and also going back to like, what is the intent and purpose, and how will that evolve and grow uh, mm-hmm. as traction happens? What are you thinking? Yeah,
0: I think that one thing kind of connecting back to the to the value of the data that you put in is is really uh, important for the value of the of the product that comes out. And so um they have preloaded more than two thousand. Um, businesses and other entities, including yours uh, and mine, uh, in there. Um, but you need to claim yourself and update that profile. And once you update that profile, you have access to more information and also opportunities that you might want to take advantage of. So there's built in some incentives for people to keep their information, or to ha- put updated information and more robust information in. There's always a problem with the send us your stuff. Everybody's busy. And if it's one more place where they have to update their address or who is in charge of their company or whatever, it, you, you can have the data kind of degrade quite quickly or never get as good as it can be. I, f- I feel that way too. you like, Think about it from a customer
1: point of view of, of- innovator is programmed as being the customer what's in it for me to update and put that Mm -hmm. information there Like, what is what am I getting out of it and that's just I think a natural human reaction or behavior that we feel this way so yeah it will be interesting to see like how they answer that question and what is it what is in it for me or for you or anyone else who's inputting that Um, and how do we how do we benefit and get integrated further into the community so those are questions to be answered I'm sure they've answered some of
0: them as they've built this uh, mm-hmm. And that will evolve. I think that answer will evolve. Well, VMS is one of those places where what's in it for me is kind of pretty clear. You get amazing um, mentorship and and opportunities. How, if someone's an entrepreneur who's listening to this, how would they get involved in VMS? Uh, reach out. So the easiest way to reach out to us is vms at ualberta.ca.
1: Um, it's not a very hard email address to remember or just Google threshold impact. Mentor Mentoring Service, which I know is an helpful, um, mm-hmm. and you'll find us very quickly, uh, and that will direct you to what I just said, at Um, I can share what we're looking for if that's helpful. Yeah. I bet that yeah. is helpful. Um, we're looking for people who have what we call the VMS DNA. And we put that term together almost, close to three years ago now, I think, um, this, this, this special it factor that we know that people on the inside of the MS have. So we started asking ourselves exactly that question. What makes people special that stick around for years and years and years to be part of this as a mentee or a mentor? And we came up with some of the words I shared earlier about Corey of someone who's curious, mm-hmm. someone who asks a lot of questions, someone who wants to continue learning, someone who has high EQ meaning that they're coachable. This is a program that helps coach, support and guide people. We look for things like, you know, are you kind?
0: I love that that's a criterion.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, we don't look for the giant ego. We look for that and Mm. say, we're probably not going to continue Mm. moving forward of getting to know each other in this context. Yeah. Um, But those things are really important because as I said earlier, the, the opportunities, group mentorship. So you wanna make sure you have the right people at the table. So I lay that out really, we lay that out front, like up front, that that is a really important criteria for us. But the first thing to do is to reach out. If you feel, you know, and you can feel it in yourself. So that you're like, I really need help. As I'm thinking about how I'm growing or scaling or starting a business. We have a lot of people who are scaling big things, but we also have people who are in the early stages of starting something too. Um, so if you're like, I really need help in some way. That's a great prompt to say, like, I should reach out and see if this is the right opportunity for me. Um, The other thing I would say very strongly is this isn't always the right opportunity for people. And so it's a shame for us sometimes to turn people away at this stage of their learning and growth as you're building and, you know, trying to move things forward from a business point of view. But if that's the case, again, being the collaborator and partner across this entrepreneurial ecosystem, we'd love to refer you to places where... You can get maybe that early stage startup health where you can, you know, start talking to investors in, in different ways. You can start talking to banks and having some mm-hmm. of those conversations if that's needed. Uh, so that's part of our opportunity to talk to someone and evaluate and assess. Are you right for this opportunity at this point in your journey? And yeah, for sure, both as a mentor or a mentee, it's not always the right fit. Uh, so we'll, we do our best to guide you to what is the right service because we, we simply just want to help.
0: Yeah. And are you still looking for mentors?
1: Uh, we always are looking for both, both mentors and mentees. But yeah, um, this is something that was baked in. Karen, right from the very, very beginning, uh, our founding mentor, uh, Dr. Ray Musica, was really clear on this of developing people. And it's not just developing the entrepreneur, the mentee, also developing business leaders in our community who want to carry this very big word of mentor. And so developing that capacity and competency to be a mentor, not just a business leader within the company that you've grown or that you're in your CEO of the company, your VP level. It's not just about um, being the business leader. It's about growing competency and capacity to be a mentor. And we are the word of mentor. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we are looking for for business leaders who want to to carry this big word. Always, always. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we will link to uh, that. Uh, the website that Lizina mentioned in the show notes and make sure that uh, people have easy access to that information. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with Bloom. This was great. Karen, thank you for having me here today. This has been lovely. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and our cover art is by Vicky Wiersinski. Bye!